about the gospel a lot, but sometimes it can be hard to explain exactly what that means. In this series, we're talking about Alive in Five, which is a simple and easy to remember way to tell the story of Jesus with five symbols that represent five points in that story. We hope you enjoy this series from Apex students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little more like Jesus. This past week at Apex, we had some technical difficulties, uh, so we weren't able to capture live audio, but I'd like to go through what we talked about at Apex um, on Wednesday and kind of give you a, a sneak peek into the second half of Alive in Five. We've been talking about Alive in Five, just taking two weeks this year to go over this gospel presentation model. So last week, we started with the first three symbols. Alive in Five is five symbols that have corresponding phrases that outline the story of Jesus, and it's super easy to remember, super easy to communicate, and so it's our uh, the official apex approved tool to be to tell people about Jesus. So we're going through that. Last week we talked about the first three symbols of alive and five. We talked about how God is love, how our sin divides us from God, and then that Jesus paid for our sin, then came back to life. So we've kind of talked about God's part in the story, and then now we're we're ready to talk about what we can do about it. Tonight, we're talking about, uh, we talked about what we can do in response to what God did. The last two symbols of Alive in Five, uh, and then kind of a challenge at the end to use this symbol. So let's get right into it. The fourth symbol that makes up Alive in Five is the question mark. And the phrase that goes along with it is, we need to decide to put our faith in God. Now, deciding to follow Jesus is a is a weighty situation. It's a difficult situation. And we're told in church, we're taught that there's a lot riding on that decision. We say our salvation um, it comes down to a decision and that decision decides heaven and hell. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Like whether we accept God in our life, we spend eternity with him or we deny God in our life. We spend eternity without him in hell. And that's uh, high stakes. Um, but that's what God teaches us. That's what, how it's set up. And so he explains how it works in a verse. We talked about it last week. You probably know it. If you wouldn't know one verse, John three sixteen. for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. That, that shows me it's a decision. What we have to do is decide to believe him. And that may sound too good to be true. I get that. Um, so let's talk about the word faith. This is a, it's something that comes up in church a lot, but it can be a little confusing. So let's talk about it. So there's this new letter, uh, a letter to, to new Christians. And uh, it was written around Jesus's time shortly after. And um, we see the definition of this faith word in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So faith is belief in what we can't see. That's what faith is. Um, so think about it like the wind. I've heard it described like that, where like in the trees, you can see the wind. You can feel the wind on your face. You can kind of see what it does, but you actually can't see the actual wind, right? That's just not something you can see. You can see its effect on people. You can feel it on your face. You can see it in the trees. You can't see the wind. And the Holy Spirit is very similar in that, you can't, you're not going to see God. You're not going to see um, him in, in a personal form. People did when they saw Jesus, but we don't have that. So we experience God um, through his work in our lives, through his work in other people, through his signs and wonders. And so we, that is, that is faith. We don't see God, but we still see his work and we believe that he's doing it. 
That's what faith is. So faith is belief in what we can't see. Also, faith in God is a choice. Um, so this is important. The idea of like free will. When we talked about how God is love. He created us to love him and uh, to be loved by him. And so when we understand God creating us with free will and, and creating us, this is a common question. Why did God not just create people to love him? Like, why isn't that just an automatic thing? Why do we have a choice in the matter? And the answer is, if uh, I asked Siri, Siri, do you love me? She would say, she has said to me mean things like, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Really shot me down. And uh, even the point is, even if Siri said, yes, I love you, then we would know that that's not real love, right? We would know that that is a, a a programming. That's a computer um, predetermined response. That's not what love is. And God understands the same thing. So he created us with a choice to love him or not love him. Because if we didn't have a choice, it wouldn't be real love. And that's the same thing with free will. He's given us a choice because if we were commanded, if we were um, wired for obedience to God, if we were just programmed, that's the only thing we can do. That's not real obedience. That's not actually a choice to love and obey him. So faith in God is a choice. The third thing about faith is that faith gives us access to grace. Ephesians 2 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. This is an important decision to make between faith and grace. It is not our faith that saves us. We need to have faith, but the actual saving happens through God's grace. So we are saved by grace through faith. By grace, through faith. It's important we don't get that confused because the saving is not in our hands. If we were saved by faith, that's us saving ourselves. No, our faith gives us access to God's grace. Just like that verse says, so we can't boast about it. Salvation is a gift from God. It's not something. It's not a payment for something we do. We are saved by grace through faith. So that's the fourth symbol. The fifth symbol is the flame. And this is really cool because it's one of the things that differentiates this gospel model from a lot of other ones. A lot of them end at the decision. And I like Alive in Five because of this fifth symbol, the flame. And the phrase that goes with it is the Holy Spirit will help us live for God. So at some point, all of us are faced with difficult situations. We're faced with big decisions and circumstances that we don't know what to do. We're faced with questions about friendships or romantic relationships. Um, many that are listening are, are facing big decisions about their future and their career path and, and school and whatever that the future holds for them or anything else in the world. We are all faced with big questions and big decisions. We believe that being a part, uh, part of being a follower of Jesus means that we get communication with God. That when Jesus was sacrificed, the, the veil in the, the temple tore from top to bottom. And that meant that we could have closeness with God and man. Jesus came to reunite God and man. And so we have this communication with God. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. He nudges us. He comforts us and teaches us. You probably have questions about that. And I think that's fair um, because this can be a confusing idea. So I'm hoping to go through some things about the Holy Spirit that answer some of those questions. First of all, the Holy Spirit is not spooky. This is kind of a favorite of people at Apex. Um, not spooky. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a ghost. It's not like the force. Um, I kind of, when we talked about this in Apex, I kind of went off a little bit about Star Wars and how dumb it is. And um, I told myself I wouldn't do it again when I was recording, but here we are. Um, so the so Holy Spirit is not like the force. It's not this mystical power, this balance of good and evil. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. It is God. The Holy Spirit is, he is God. And uh, that's why I 
give it a personal pronoun, not an it, that the Holy Spirit is a person. We see in the scripture that um, he can be disappointed. He can be pleased. He comforts us. He does things. He's not a, a force or a ghost. We've heard this, the Holy Ghost. And um, that was an understanding that people have. And and it. But to me, that's a little confusing. And to be other people, it's not. But to me, that sounds like I can be haunted by God. And that's not quite how it works, that the Holy Spirit is not a ghost, but it, it's a person. He's a person. Um, and, and that's why we say the Holy Spirit is not spooky. The Holy Spirit gives us abundant life. So we talked about this a little bit in John 10, 10, this idea of abundant life, thriving life, life to the fullest. Um, and so that's a really important idea that we don't have to wait to die to experience God's love. We talked about that when we talked about God's love, that it's not just about eternity, but it's also about abundant life on earth. That's what John 10, John 10, 10 teaches us. Jesus also gave some insight into what the Holy Spirit does in John 14, um, records Jesus saying this, but when the father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The Holy Spirit is on our team. That's kind of what I hear Jesus saying here. The Holy Spirit is on our team. Think of him like a coach, like a, like a, a teammate, a cheerleader, someone to more like the coach though, has the, um, the instruction to give us, to help us, to guide us. Um, the Holy Spirit is, is an advocate. He's on our team. Also, he teaches and remind us, reminds us, just like Jesus said. Um, there's a man named Luke who recorded the events of Jesus, like just like John did, Mark and Matthew. What's interesting about Luke is that he continued to write about the early church after Jesus left. He continued to record it. So we have his account of Jesus's life in the book of Luke. Luke, And then we have him recording the early church in the book of Acts. And so um, through that, he wrote, through what he wrote, we know that the Holy Spirit gives us power and boldness. So after Jesus was crucified, he came back to life. He walked the earth. He interacted with some people. And right before he ascended back into heaven, right before he left, this is his last words. Now, last words are important. Jesus said a lot of things, but he only said one thing last. And this is the last thing he said in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These are Jesus's last words. Super important, super interesting that the last thing he tells us is that we are going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. Later in Luke's record of the early church, we see the people are following Jesus. Um, the people that were following Jesus are now hiding because Jesus was killed for his message, for his movement. And so they're at risk. They're thinking, well, if Jesus was killed, who am I? Like Jesus was the leader. There's a great chance they're going to have me killed too, to continue to send that message, to continue to squash the movement. So they're hiding. They saw Jesus killed. And for what he was saying, and it was reasonable for them to think they were in danger. So we read in Acts 4.31, something happens when the Holy Spirit shows up. So they're in this room praying and asking for God to come. And this is what it says. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were then, uh, I'm sorry, then they preached the word of God with boldness. So these people went from cowering, hiding, um, scattered across the area. They, They were afraid for their lives to 11 out of the 12 disciples being killed because they would not stop proclaiming Jesus. And that 12th one was left on an island to die. He did not get out scot-free. That's a pretty big change, right? To go from hiding in this room to dying for this message, clinging to Jesus's message. There was a huge change in them. They had power and boldness. And that's what happened when the Holy Spirit got a hold of them. And what's really cool is that that's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, gets a hold of me as well. 
Now, I really hope that Alive in Five has helped you understand the gospel better. It helped me understand the gospel better. It's something I've been studying for a long time. Alive in Five really helped me. But I have two goals through Alive in Five. The first is that, that we would understand the gospel better. But the second is maybe more important, that we would share this gospel that we would connect with the Holy Spirit, that he would give us boldness so we can share the story with someone in our life. God has called us to be a witness to the people around us. The gospel is not supposed to end with us. Alive in Five is not supposed to end inside of me when I hear it. We were once God's mission. This is an important idea. He did what he did out of love for us to reunite us to him. And we, we were God's mission. We have the choice to accept him as our savior and Lord, our Savior, the one who paid the price for this, our sin, took our punishment, and our Lord, the one who's in the driver's seat of our life. We follow your voice and make our lives about you. You are our Lord. And when we do that, when we make him our Savior and Lord, we move from being his mission to being his missionary. That we talk a lot about here, about talk a lot in here about missionaries. We take an offering every week for Speed the Light. But you don't have to travel across the world to do what a missionary does. You are a missionary to the people in your life. The people around you need to hear the story of Jesus. That means your friends, your classmates, your neighbors, people at work, people you meet on the street, strangers. You have the opportunity to represent Jesus to everyone you encounter. God is calling us to tell people about him, to tell people what he's done for us, to tell people um, that he can do that for them. And what he's done for all of humanity, he can do for them, to invite people to answer God's call on their life and to give them a chance to encounter him, give them an opportunity to encounter God. Just like we talked about last week, um, this is a scary thing to do. I get that. Um, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about how to do that practically. Three steps I have, three ideas to help people get closer to Jesus, to kind of demystify this, um, this missionary work we're called to do. The first thing is to help people. Help the people around you by meeting their physical needs. Uh, that means helping someone with a work project, Maybe buy somebody lunch, um, even though you weren't asked to help with this project, even though you don't need to pay for their lunch. Um, help people. Step up and meet people's physical needs. Give somebody a ride somewhere. Give, uh, be good to people. Just be a kind person. I don't believe there should be grumpy Christians. <laughs> that just shouldn't be a thing. Be kind to people. And once you do that, when you meet physical needs, you then have an opportunity to meet people's spiritual needs. You begin building relationships. You're representing the goodness of God to people. So we help people. That leads us to ask. We help them. We have an opportunity to meet spiritual needs. So ask them what they believe about God. Like people, there are lots of conversations about spirituality. Like there are some people that just say nothing. I believe God is made up. There is no spirituality. There is only this. Um, there are a lot of people that believe in some kind of God, some sort of spirituality that are open to that idea. So ask people, say, explain to me what you believe about God. Where did you get these ideas? What, uh, what do your parents believe? What is your experience with church? What is your past experience with church? When you do that, when you ask people genuinely are interested in what people believe spiritually, you get an opportunity after that to, to share what you believe about spirituality. And you can't ask with the intention of then getting to share. That's not how it works. You have to be genuine, genuinely care about what people believe. When you do that, you get an opportunity to share what you believe. So you help them meet their physical needs. You ask them, find out their spiritual experience. And then you invite them. This is telling them the story of Jesus. Telling them the story of how Jesus impacted your life. 
They say the average person needs to hear the story of Jesus 7.6 times before they accept it. 7.6. That means that says to me, I need to be okay with rejection because that is seven and a half people that are rejected before someone finally gets through, before someone finally accepts the message of Jesus. So embrace the awkward, be okay with rejection. There is too much at stake to let rejection and awkwardness stop you from staring, from sharing the story of Jesus. It's just, there's too much at stake. Um, some, some people that are hearing this will never get to be the time that someone says yes. They're always going to be in that first seven. And when I say 7.6 is the average, that means some people say yes on two. Some people take a hundred. So that means you may never get to be the one that they say yes to. But that means when you share the story of Jesus, you've brought them closer to that yes. You've brought them closer to maybe someone else comes along and gets to be the 7.6 where they finally say, okay, yes, I'm gonna give this a try. I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. So that we can't let the awkwardness or rejection scare us away. We have to consider every time I share Jesus, it's bringing someone more understanding of Jesus and bringing them closer to accepting him. So these three things are, are helpful as we apply Alive in Five, as we actually make this a part of our life to help people meet their physical needs, to ask people, find out their spiritual experience, and then to invite them to tell them the story of Jesus. I'd like to draw your attention just really quickly to the plural pronouns that we use in Alive in Five. I think that's so cool that our sin separates us from God, right? The Holy Spirit will help us. We need to decide. These are all plural pronouns, and that's because we're not supposed to do this alone. Around you at Apex and and your support system is the church. That's the idea. Everyone listening has the same call to tell people about Jesus. We all have that same call. We all face similar obstacles and, and challenges in doing that. And so we are here. The body of Christ is here called to support each other, encourage each other, and be bold for one another. We're all in this together. So at Apex, we kind of took some minutes in our small group and um, we got a little piece of paper and um, we asked God to give us some names. What are some people, I think I said three people that we can commit to praying for and to use Alive in Five with. So maybe they, maybe each person's going to be on a different step in this idea. So everyone is going to be uh, somewhere on this journey, whether they need to be helped. We need to meet a physical need so we can begin this relationship, earn the credibility to have these conversations. Maybe we need to ask them their spiritual beliefs to begin that conversation. And some people need to be invited into the story of Jesus, need to be invited to Apex. Everyone's somewhere different on this journey. And so we, uh, everyone got a card to write down these three names, to commit to praying for them and introducing them to Alive in Five. And so we're continuing to pray for these people throughout um, Apex, throughout the area that are being prayed for and uh, being introduced to the gospel through Alive in Five. So I'm going to pray as we close today. Jesus, thank you so much for this calling to be a part of your mission, to be a part of your uh, work in the world. God, thank you so much that we get to be a part of it. And God, I pray you help us, give us boldness and courage, like you said you do, um, to, to use your story to help people get closer to you, to introduce people to your story, to invite them to, to be a part of your story, to make you a part of their lives. God, help us, give us opportunities, lay those names on our hearts so that we can commit to praying for people and bringing them closer to you. God, we love you. It's all about you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Students podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little more like Jesus.